Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. This is part two of our two of a kind double feature. Last week in part one, we talked about 2021's uh, buddy comedy, Barb and Star, Go to Vista Del Mar with Kristen Wiig and Annie Milano. And I, uh, we both loved it. All of us loved it. And I think that we're going to have a really fun time talking about this uh, pairing, Double Trouble from 1992, directed by John Paragon, starring the Barbarian Twins. Uh, if you're under 40 you may not remember uh, or know at all uh the barbarian twins um they are two bodybuilders peter paul and david paul who are they're they're not identical but they're very similar looking and that was sort of their shtick uh, and they were they're massive guys they're very bodybuilder and in the post conan the barbarian um arnold schwarzenegger like bodybuilder turned actor uh revival you know we always had steve reeves and things like that but the revival of the 80s and 90s uh the barbarian brothers got uh, a series of movies um the most famous are probably the barbarian twins uh where they played barbarians but uh double trouble is it, it's a cop it, i don't so this is a live action cartoon essentially with the theme of a 90s buddy cop movie um the the plot is that you have these two brothers one of them became a cop uh and is the good quote brother and then the other one became a criminal uh and 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 they end up you know the criminal brother is the goofy fun likable one and the cop brother is the big you know bullheaded uh sort of tough kind of jerky one and he of course has to pair up with his brother to stop some plot that they uh, ends up involving stealing diamonds which i don't know i, I don't have enough diamonds to give a shit but it, I, I don't really even know how to describe this movie except to say i know what you're thinking you're thinking this is a buddy cop movie like lethal weapon but what i'm telling you is is it's a buddy cop movie like lethal weapon directed by john paragon well who is john paragon you're asking over and over again as i've said his name several times well he was one of the main directors for peewee's playhouse and he played jambi in peewee's playhouse so now that you know there is peewee's playhouse dna 
throughout this movie, Double Trouble, you'll kind of start to get a sense of the goofiness that this movie offers. Um, it also has a ton of cameos like Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar uh, and a, a theme of friendship uh, and uh, living life into your 40s. That actually isn't, isn't part of it, but I've, I've talked a lot uh, without even giving my name. You probably already know this, but I am your host, comedian and film critic, Nate Wyckoff. And to talk about Double Trouble, we've got a great panel. Uh, first up is a longtime panelist, Jeff Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm just single trouble today. Single trouble? Well, someday, someday you'll you'll be double trouble or thruple trouble. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, pretend to know your inner workings all the time. Also, we have Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm just fine. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And <laughs> to to round it out, we have our very own COVID-19 test subject uh, in recovery, Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Well, you know, it's weird. It's a week later and I still have COVID. It's almost like we filmed these episodes back to back, but that couldn't be true. So yeah, it's weird. Time doesn't work that way. We're literally talking into your phone right now whenever you happen to uh, to download this, which again is why you should join our Patreon because that's a lot of work. Uh, patreon.com slash Colton Classic Podcast where you can get lots of extras, free stuff, zines, all sorts of things. Also leave a review uh, wherever you get your podcast. Send us messages, hate mail, love mail, uh, professions of crimes that we'll have to report directly to the FBI and police at Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com. That's been our episode, guys. Thanks so much for talking about Double Trouble. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, this is this is a fun one. So I'm just going to just dive right in with you guys. Jeff, what did you expect from Double Trouble? And what did you get now that you've seen it? Well, I mean, I've seen like a million action films from many different decades at this point. I actually looked at my like my DVD collection, which I kind of stopped collecting in like my mid 20s. And it's like all action films. <laughs> it's like just top to bottom. I mean, and it's a tall like bookcase full of dvds um so like i know what to expect when i come into an action film um and this uh you know was you know mostly that it's uh got uh, some good chemistry between two the main characters which you'd expect from twins um the writing's actually pretty good it's funny i feel like i'm about to start a fight here i feel like <laughs> the only thing that like really held this back was the directing was like criminally bad um, especially in like the first 15 minutes. I, I don't think I've ever seen a film where I've like every single framing of every single shot is just wrong. Like, it's just like, you just did this wrong. Like there was like, like you, just a better way to have done this. Every single one for like 15 minutes. I just stopped trying after a while. It was just like, okay, I'm. <laughs> it's funny you mention that. It's, it's funny you mention that. Cause I, 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 I know exactly what you're saying. Um, everything feels like it was shot in the cheapest way possible. Um, and by cheapest, I don't just mean no money. I mean the easiest way possible. Like, um, not that this is actually in the film, but like, it's the kind of thing where, well, he has to walk from his car to the door to the building for an establishing shot. Let's uh, set up a dolly, bring it over. No, 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 no. Just set the camera on top of the car. Um, that's what it feels like. And I will say it's, after the first couple scenes, I totally just fell into it. Like it's the TNT afternoon movie in, in you know, early 2000s, late 90s. That's what it feels like. I saw um, a little like soap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I agree. I surrendered to it after the first 15 minutes. Yeah. But it's just, it's just wrong. It is. <laughs> it's a, you could do like a class on like why you don't like do these shots this way <laughs> using this film. Um, well, having said that, I did really like this film still. Like I did enjoy it. I love the characters. I, I, I did enjoy the, the you know. Well, the so let's talk about it because it's weird because there's a charm to it, even though there is essentially nothing new in this film. Even the, even the quips are not really new for the most part. Um, I mean, one of the funniest, the, the funny moments is you've got, uh, 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 see, and this is where I can't remember which brother is which. So you have one of the, the brothers, I think David is the criminal. Am I correct in that? Uh, I don't, okay, we'll say yes. Uh, so David plays the criminal. Um, and when they, they cart off the bad guy, uh, his, his quip is, uh, you're dumber than I look. And it's funny because of course we expect people who are muscle bound to be not very smart. Um, but it's just, uh, it's ridiculous because um, it's been said before, it's been done before. It was even a turn of a joke already used in the movie, but it's got this charm to it when, when David Paul says it. Um, and of course the villain is played by icon Roddy McDowell, uh, who is absolutely wonderful. He is yet another um, likable bad guy. And of course, if you don't know who Roddy McDowell is, well, go out and watch Fright Night in, from 1985 and watch Planet of the Apes. He plays Cornelius uh, in the first one. And then in the last one, he plays Caesar, I believe. Um, but he's really, really good. Uh, he has this great English accent. Uh, he's just full of charm. It's like it's like a happy John Hurt uh, excuse me William Hurt one of the Hurts happy as opposed to doubt you know dour and sad but anyway yeah that's an interesting take I appreciate your input and I I think you hit a lot of good points that we're going to come back to yeah I'm surprised I didn't I didn't start the fight because of like well, uh, the Pee-wee's Playhouse well here's the thing uh, about Pee-wee's Playhouse Pee-wee's Playhouse is shot in a one set yeah place for the most part um and so it's all about economy right how much stuff can we cheat out to the audience and, and we have to film many episodes. Whereas in a film, it's kind of expected that you're gonna take more time on the shots. And so when you don't, it gives it a very specific flavor, a TV flavor. Like it's really yeah. just seeing how they framed the opening shots tells you right away the whole vibe of the movie. Not even just like, not even just that it's low budget, it tells you exactly the tone and everything of the movie. It's sort of like watching VIP with Pamela Anderson, you know, uh, her, was it early 2000s uh, pseudo vehicle TV series? Like you watch it and you're just like, this is, this is not good and somehow also great. Uh, and it's, you just roll with it. Um, and I, 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 I surrender and accept that vibe. Mandy, what is your what was your expectation of Double Trouble versus what you got after watching it? Uh, I went into this not really having too much of an expectation other than just like, okay, it's from the mid 90s and it's a cop film. So it's probably gonna be Dumb. goofy, dumb-ish, <laughs> yeah. like semi-offensive semi yep. <laughs> to feminists, which it kind of was. Kind of um, is, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it, but it's probably like funny because of like the premise. So sure. uh, I wasn't necessarily disappointed on any of those fronts. 
Uh, even yeah. yeah, even the misogynistic. And let's put it this way: it's sort of the it's like soft misogyny, right? It's it's sort of like your grandpa making an off-color remark. Um, it's like you. It's not that it isn't wrong. It's that you recognize it as a relic of its time period. And you're like, now we know better. Um, and it's not an excuse, but it's true. For example, there, there are nearly zero women in this movie. Um, the, 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 the only character that is a like potentially strong character is, uh, is the hero cop's partner, uh, who is, I was shocked to see was cast as an attractive young black woman. However, there's two things to talk about at that one is that uh, she's refrigerated uh, in the first 15 minutes. Uh, she's killed and becomes the impetus for uh, her partner going on this, you know, it's not even a rampage, but going after her people. I know I was disappointed, but also um, she's in like the most ridiculous uh, sort of, I'm trying to think of the, the problem, like a, a, uh, a woman of the night in the 1990s outfit. It is the most ridiculous like leopard bustier with these ridiculous platform heels. And by the way, she can walk in those. We all know she can because yes, they're high heels, but they're also like three inch platforms. So it's it's at most a three inch heel. Um, That's a dude writing this script. It's like, oh, I can't imagine somebody being able to walk in these. It's, it's so, so let me write yeah. something and so, in there about it being impossible. I kept, I kept thinking that they were going to reference that they were like on a sting trying to catch like uh, someone like picking up prostitutes or something because of how she was dressed and they never address it. And when they're back at the precinct, she's still in the outfit. And then that night she's still in the outfit. I'm like, this is just what they think women wear to the field. Like it was, that was, that was so mind blowing. Um, yet at the same time, so expected because two of the first, I think four people that are killed in this movie are black, uh, which is also a, a key element of nineties movies all the way up into the two thousands is uh, if your skin is, you know, pigmented darker than, um, I don't know, like the villain of Barb and star, right? Like wonder bread <laughs> toast or something, you know, like then you're gonna, your lifespan is limited. Although I will say one of the sergeants, I think the sergeant of the cop is a black man. And it was nice to see someone who isn't killed, uh, in an, in a position of power, uh, a person of color. So I don't think it was probably intentional racism in any way but come on can we stop killing as more black people than white people in these movies equal opportunity murder in film folks um yeah so but even though there are people getting shot there's a couple of squibs um although i actually i was saying i was as i was watching and i actually went back i don't know that there are really squibs with exploding blood in this i actually think they got around it several ways like for example um, when there's a shootout in uh, one of their apartments, or, or actually it's a the villain's hideout, one of the villain's hideouts. Um, it looks like there's squibs in the cheap wooden door that blow out. But actually, if you go back, it looks like they actually braced the door and then cut the footage and made a hole in each place where it was shot and colored it blue like it was burn mark so and it actually it worked um so kudos to them I, I definitely think it shows how inexpensive this movie probably was um and you know i think it's effective but it's certainly uh we're talking about um 
on their first meeting, the cop brother shooting the, the criminal brother in the shoulder. And the shooting wound is what I think is probably a swatch of a red lipstick um, as, he's, as he's on the uh, floor with his training partner who happens to be his, I guess, I was going to say side piece, but uh, he doesn't have any other people to my knowledge. So his girlfriend, I don't know, we never see her again. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, the, the budget is, is fairly low. Greg, what did you expect going into Double Trouble and what did you get? Uh, well, I did no research before watching it. So I was immediately confused when I was like, oh, like they're, they're really, really good with this, um, this one actor playing mirror two effect. roles, mirror <laughs> effect. Like it looks really good for whatever year this is. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. And I pulled up the IMDb while I was watching it. I'm like, oh, it's it's two actual twins. Like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Um, I liked it well enough. Um, but honestly, like versus when we talked about Barb and Star and I started kind of pulling back like, oh yeah, that moment and this moment and this joke. Talking about Double Trouble again, I don't, remember much of this film i remember (laughs) i i laughed and i thought it was entertaining but it's it's almost already out of my mind um i think that that's kind of to do with um with barb and star it really felt like they were having fun and they brought us along for the ride with this it just felt like they were having fun um which was nice to watch but you know they it was kind of hey we're doing our barbarian brothers thing and we're we're trucking along so yeah it, it is sort of it's interesting because i think right the intent is different right like we talked about barb and star it was one of those things where it's really funny and also has like this message of sort of love and joy uh, and finding you know your shimmer finding your 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 spark to want to live your life um and this one aims for entertainment and it stays completely in entertainment. It's like, hey, should we go back and wrap up that loose end? Well, why? Is it going to make people happier? No, then no. Like, what are you, dumb? Like, that's what it feels like. Um, It's sort of, and it is true. I don't remember a lot. And I think it comes back to, there were a lot of moments that I actually laughed at. Like I was actually heavily entertained throughout this movie, um, much more than most 90s action movies, which I do enjoy. Like, I'm never going to laugh or even guffaw or chuckle at a Steven Seagal film, uh, unless it's the title of Half Past Dead, because that's uh, the biggest troll that ever has trolled a, a troll theater. Um, but this movie, I did laugh. Um, yet again, I think part of it is a lot of the jokes aren't really new necessarily or really brilliantly intelligent. They're just funny. Uh, and it's partially partially the presentation. Like this is also like, it's got, it, it never even really approaches the seriousness of an episode of the original Baywatch, right? Like the life or death stakes are really not stakes to begin with, but there are genuinely funny moments that because I expected so little actually really got me. Like there's a scene uh, where the trope that the cop locks the bad guy he's working with to the steering wheel of his car only to come back and the guy's broken free and the handcuffs are hanging there, right? Well, in this one, he locks his brother to the steering wheel, goes on his own, uh, gets caught by a guy with a gun, and his brother knocks the guy out with the steering wheel still attached. And you're like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then he unhooks the steering wheel. And then they go on a chase. There's a gunfight. And like 10 minutes later, they they go to chase the other guy and they get in the car and there's no steering wheel. 
And they're like, like, that's funny. And it actually was decent writing. And I'd forgotten, like I genuinely forgotten, which is the whole goal of a setup like that, right? You give the information so we should know what's gonna happen, but because you've misdirected me with action uh, and, and other stuff happening, I forgot and it worked. Um, and I think the pace is really well done. They're constantly doing different things, introducing a new character, having a gunfight, killing a character, whatever the case is, enough that I never had, I didn't have time to sort of dissect it on the spot. Um, it's partially why I don't remember a lot of the details, but I mean, I do remember the cop brother throwing a satellite dish off a roof into the windshield of a car, presumably killing one man. But here's what I loved about it is the other brother's like, awesome, high five. And they literally high five or fist bump or something. But then I remember that thinking, you know, that didn't really like destroy the car, just the windshield. And then the villain just slides it off the window and drives away. And I'm like, yeah, that is exactly what I expected to happen. Like <laughs> nothing is sort of like the acknowledge the ineffectiveness of certain things the the one the one bit i do remember really well is um the bad guy uh played by rodney mcdowell uh <laughs> telling one of the underlings like oh you let me down okay you shoot him and then after he shoots him he's like oh you're promoted yeah like, and and it's which was a good bit it is and like the to, to their credit all of the um the sort of the villain, the lead villain characters, uh, even if you don't even get their names or much from them, um, are they do a good job. And the the head villain, like underling, uh, was played by Bill Mooney, who is uh, he's been in everything on the planet. Uh, I mean, he was Will Robinson in Lost in Space, the original series Lost in Space. So if you recognize his face, as I always do. Um, that's probably what it's from. Uh, he's fantastic. I loved him. He sort of looks, if you don't, can't picture him as an adult, he looks like Joel Hodgson uh, from uh, Mystery Science, creator and star of many Mystery Science Theater episodes, but with red hair. Um, and, and it's great. And he's great. He's just this, he just plays the goofball villain. Like he's a cold-blooded killer who also is always just kind of happy. Like he just brings the energy to the scene, even if he's not saying anything. Um, let's talk about the guest stars in this movie because I was actually a little surprised, even though they are just brief guest stars. Because you have um, the, you know, you have Roddy McDowell, who's a legitimate, fantastic actor. You have the the sort of pop reference of the time with um, the Paul brothers, who do a fun job. But then you also you have David Carradine as like the the in, still in jail thief who taught the criminal brother everything he knows. That was like a one, you know, a one afternoon shoot, definitely. Um, but it was interesting to see him there. Like I didn't, I, did somebody call in a favor? Like I didn't, this is pretty early, even though it's sort of mid to late David Carradine career, it's pretty early for this kind of uh, direct-to-video cameo to be occurring this obviously. Um, there's usually at least a couple of days of shooting they squeeze out of people, and that didn't happen here. Also, let's talk about uh, uh, James Duhon. This is his first... Uh, yep, he, of course, Scotty in the original Star Trek series. He, this is his, he plays the chief, and it's his first uh, non-Star Trek role since, like, 1971. Uh, so it, it had been over 20 years, and it was nice to see him again. He does look relatively tired, but he, he pulls it. Uh, it's, and then you also, you've got Louis Arquette, who has been in many, many things. Basically, it's a relatively small cast, but everyone in here has some sort of pedigree, um, you know, spreading all the way down from, as I said, uh, 
uh, Johnny Paragon. Um, and I wish I would love Johnny, if you're out there at Paul Brothers, anyone reach out to us because I would like to know the story of how this film ended up coming to be because it's sort of a departure for so many people involved. Um, I guess even though like, you know, you have all the tropes, like the cop's partner is killed in the beginning. Um, he has to work with his crappy brother. Uh, we didn't even get into uh, the their FBI sort of assistant, Whitney. Um, uh, played by Colin Burnson, who is in it. In he's in. I mean, he's a sort of a main side character, but he's not in a whole lot of scenes. But he's f funny. Like they, they constantly are making fun of his name. Um, like uh, when the cop is introducing, uh, it was like, hey, or the not the cop, the, the bad guy. He's like, oh, this is my brother and this is my sister. Like they're constantly making fun of his name, uh, but he's this character that so, plays it so good natured. And they just do these great touches with him with physical comedy, which I didn't expect them to go that extra mile to. Like when he runs away to call the FBI in and he trips over like a set piece and they just keep it. And like, it's just, and they're like, dick. Like, it's just, it was funny. I, I felt like it didn't have to be done. And so when it was done, I was like, oh, they care about us as the audience. Um, and cult fans out there, I know we are, Colin was uh, Michael Kenny in Puppet Master 2. That's what I recognized him from. That was one of his early roles. Uh, and, and that was two years before this one. So uh, he, he had roles all the way up into the 20, late 2010s, or excuse me, 2012, I think was his last one, I guess. Um, so I don't know if he just retired. Or whatever but he's he's got some fun bit parts so let's move on to recommendations i i have to say i'll start with the recommendation i recommend this to people who like buddy cop movies and sort of just want something brainless that they're going to enjoy and isn't going to stress them out too much i was really surprised watching this i was happily surprised because for one of these like quick shoot quick out the door mgm movies in the 90s uh it was fun. I was entertained. It did not overstay its welcome at all. Um, the two brothers, uh, especially David playing the villain, um, just were fun to watch. Uh, and it's sort of like, no, did the script always make sense? No, they have that trope, so many tropes, the trope where the uh, big muscle guy gets a kitten in the beginning, he has to take care of that we never see again. They're like, we decided to throw that subplot out the window. Um, but I like when he brings him home, he gives the cat like a, a spoonful of Yoplait on a plate, and then fills the sink with cat litter and says, use the sink. That's all we see of him. That's it. Uh, it, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Uh, the actual plot of the villains does make sense, kind of. Um, and so, you know, the heist portion makes sense. Roddy McDowell makes sense. Um, there's a cup, there's one or two scenes that uh, would have been cut for TV um, for violence, but they're really light. Um, like a senator gets run over twice uh, and it's a dummy, but it's a, you know, this is a good good moment. And it was just a little brutal. It would have probably been cut, at least part of it. Uh, and then there is one person whose throat is slit. And you don't see it on screen, but you do see the uh, effect on the neck after. And that would have been cut, uh, certainly. Nowadays, no one would blink. Uh, you know, CSI has, you know, people being rectally murdered. So what are you going to do? But 
I recommend this movie uh, if you like this kind of thing. And if you want to experience that sort of niche, goofy novelty that the 90s were so big on in movies, um, Double Trouble is great because, I mean, you can't get any more niche and novelty than twin bodybuilder brothers uh, playing playing a cop in a build. I think the tagline from the original poster or, or uh, you know, ad poster is like, uh, I have it here for reference, twin brothers, one's a good cop, the other's bad news. I'm like, that's not even, that's not even a play on words. Um, but it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, I think that makes sense. Is that, is that clever? I can't tell, but I'm entertained enough to continue on. The cover is also pure nineties cheese. Uh, it's the, the, the cop brother who's mainly dressed in light clothes behind in, in a, black backdrop behind him leaning against his brother who dresses in black with a white backdrop behind him with double trouble above it like i almost picked um was it double team with jean-claude van damme and uh um dennis rodman for this uh but double trouble took the cake it's frankly a more fun movie uh and that's saying something because john woo did weird stuff with that movie so I recommend it if this sounds at all like you type of thing. And if you, it's actually available on several streaming platforms, or at least it was. So give it a shot, double trouble. Uh, hopefully the Paul brothers get some residuals and Johnny Paragon. Um, if you're still around, hit us up. I would love you to direct a couple of episodes of our podcast. Mandy, would you recommend double trouble? And if so, to who and why? I would, but first I apologize. Cause I think I led you wrong on the names of the actors. I think David was the cop and Peter was the crook but it's you know very what? hard okay. to tell from the write-ups in the it, it is and in in, yeah i'm and gonna so, guess that the twins have probably uh been you know mistaken for each other in the past probably. so i think they'll probably yeah be. but it's super hard to tell even from like imdb or something like cast it's like wait what Don't, yeah anyway. but paul but yeah, brothers case, we appreciate you both equally you know, and i'm glad you know uh, um yeah i was just being you know, like no the officer's name was jade and like that's their last name duh <laughs> it's all good i i will say that this is one of the one of the many reasons why i adore elizabeth olsen is because she's not one of the twins and so mm. nothing against ashley and mary kate i just can't i, I can't separate you two in my brain I, yeah. I just don't have enough information yet elizabeth you know i i got you girl you got it. uh yeah anyway. so would you you would recommend it who would you recommend it to i guess why? i would recommend it is fun mostly innocuous like uh yeah like, once you get past the fridge moment in the beginning grandfather there's, yeah there's yeah, not even yeah. any um there's no nudity that, I, in this film i actually thought like the like the flirtation at the beginning with like peter the crook and his training partner mm. was very cute with the diamonds it, it was um, and he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> use her or anything he actually gives oh. her uh <laughs> very expensive gifts um uh, probably yes. thousands of dollars right away uh you know but i just I, thought it was a cute situation between the two of them and I he has a painting of himself in his living room that's kind of a usually that's <laughs> or is it his brother oh that's even weirder that's even weirder there <laughs> yes. um, is a strange cop brother I, I will say too I, i'm not saying the film was homoerotic but there are definitely like long slow pans over sweaty nipples um in several occasions in this movie um, did did any like so maybe i i will say i will admit also that i didn't watch this movie as closely as barb and star right but who you're could? fired you're off who the could? podcast did anything happen with his next door neighbor that was listening to him like grunt while zero absolutely face? zero 
So this is another one. It's like there's a whole separate movie. So, so many so hanging chads in this the, the, Yeah, so the cop, when he brings the kitten in, uh, it's the only time we see his apartment, I believe. Um, there's like the supermodel down the hall um is like he like, like shares it, a wall with him shares a wall and and like we just see him working out ferociously making these insane sounds which by the way you know those are the sounds he actually makes in the gym you know in the in the weight room because they're so guttural and ridiculous it's the equivalent of like Sharapova you know you know playing in in uh, a tennis match it's just and then like, we cut like, to like that uh, you know we, we don't we don't kink shame on this podcast but there are no there's no fucking way that those grunts could be deemed sexual in any context well well i don't know because the supermodel down the hall is shown smoking a cigarette leaning against the wall listening well uh, very pleased yeah no i don't know it sounds like like that's also the sound that you would make when you're passing a kidney stone um, or when you die yeah. <laughs> like it's just it's absolutely hilarious um yeah okay so no, nothing happened between them i happens. can all right uh, sure and and also i will say that there's no female nudity in this film um there's a, a couple of shots of women in bikinis but very briefly like it's just not even it's sort of like women yeah. are parallel to the movie but never shall they intersect the movie uh after the beginning uh which is probably better for the women considering how quickly the uh the female partner was dispatched of uh but after mm. that as you said it's relatively innocuous on the gender front so my recommendation for this film is probably gonna be a little bit strange uh other than like oh buddy cops like it's funny go have a laugh whatever because i thought this and also like far from the star a bit but not as much but this is a very good example for those who are going through like management training or more understanding of like workplace dynamics and stuff of the form storm norm and perform like school of thought on teams so we see them come in they um they are forced together they do not necessarily like it they know each other they have some basis of like what the dynamic should be or is going to be and who each of them are and then they fight and things do not go well and they're like well, this is we don't want this to work and then they sort of normalize and they start figuring out how to work together. And then at the end, they pull it off. Like they stop the bad guys. So as you know, if you want to mix up your MBA or what, I don't know, management training curriculum, or you need to write an essay on that particular topic, like this might be a good reference point for that. I love that. And it's interesting because oftentimes we talk about like, oh, this is predictable or this trope is being used over and over again. Um, a lot of it is because they're recognizable to us for good reason. They're in, they, they either reflect some sort of innate reality uh, of our condition as people, or, or they reflect um, the things we do every day in interacting and problem solving. So it's not always a bad thing. That's why sometimes you can really like a movie that you recognize has very little original content. Um, it's not just that it's comfortable, it's that it's feeding one of those needs and your brain, it's like a puzzle. Your brain recognizes it and that gives it that little serotonin uh, boost. So there's, there's, your, there's your business, your film and your uh, uh, armchair psychology uh, lesson for the day. Greg, would you recommend Double Trouble 1992 starring the Paul brothers? And if so, to who and why? Um, I think ultimately no. Um, if, if I was gonna, I mean, if you, if you are a diehard nineties action fan, yeah, sit down and give this a watch. I mean, it's part of the collection. You, you have to, it's kind of a, an oddball out there. Um, 
but ultimately no because it was so forgettable i i enjoyed myself while i watched it but you know i'd be hard pressed to remember much to tell you um going in theme of us talking about this having a distinct lack of uh, diversity um my alternate recommendations would be uh bad boys or rush hour two other good 90s action films Sure. And also there's a, a re-release coming up of uh, 48 Hours and Another 48 Hours with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy, which are full of uh, really off-color moments, but in many ways offer a more realistic depiction of race troubles be uh, between police and uh, people of color. And or also Die Hard 3. That'd Die be a... <laughs> Die Hard Three. That's another. That's a Samuel Jackson is a professor. Is that what he is? Right. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, um, I think so. We'll have, to, we'll have to revisit. But yeah, it's just um, it's it, it's worthy. And I, I I will say Double Trouble. It's a great popcorn movie. And I actually think it's shockingly more watchable and more entertaining than so many of the better known ones. That I would recommend it over. As I said, any Steven Seagal film. Um, let's just replace any. Let's just replace it. Uh, every time someone picks up a copy of Under Siege or Under Siege 2 or Marked for Death, let's just have a copy of Double Trouble in that case. Uh, and you know what? They'll be confused for a minute. Like, oh, like, what is this? And then they'll be like, oh, this is great. Like, uh, Stigall's never been better. Um, so uh, Steven Seagal, by the way, uh, had a second family overseas and left them. So anywho, getting back to the point, uh, which is Double Trouble, did do we hit everyone? Did I get your everybody's recommendations uh, except for except for Jeff? Uh, Jeff, would you recommend Double Trouble? And if so, to who and why? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd give I'd give it to like um, I'd give it a, a recommend to people who you know really like action films. I, I think this one feels a little bit like a glove. You know, it's just like you know you you watch it and it just feels comfortable. Very um, much so. It's just like I, I think even going off what Greg said is like it's not really that memorable because like it, it really just like it's like just the beats of a action yeah, film it's the instant mashed potatoes like it's a it comfort is. food but it's not like the best mashed potatoes you've ever had but it's easy and it's quick and when you want mashed potatoes that's ex it's it's enough um yeah. and you're happy with it i i think that's that's sort of and where it's set in my brain and I would even argue that like it being for forgettable can be like a good thing. Yeah. Like, if you want to go to bed, like, you know, after you yeah. watch a film and you don't want to like think about anything, you get the distraction and then you just drift off to sleep. There's, there's nothing in this movie that you're like going to be like thinking about after, you know, like, for oh sure. man, you know, that heist was really like thought provoking. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me go over that in my mind again like nah. yeah whoa I, I, that's I mean, that scene where they blew the bottom out of the vault and uh that one fbi agent thought that he was just jittery because he had regular instead of decaf Woo! um yeah yeah so it's just fun like it just it had like a kind of a light funness to it and i, I think actually that's where maybe a lot of the action films of the 90s kind of failed is they didn't find the fun um and so i wouldn't maybe go back and watch them even even if i'd liked them at the time for whatever reason i think uh, you're right um i would hazard to say that we've talked about some other action films on this podcast uh from from this general area and we talked about um undefeatable with cynthia rothrock um uh and um that was one where it's not a comedy but 
it had levity. It, it it used the quip device that so many action movies in the 90s tried to perfect or just slogged along with that that's their entire function, right? It's to, to make it not too real. Uh, and that succeeded using that. And this one succeeds using comedy. Uh, and it really does have some straight up comic moments. Like to call it a serious film is ridiculous. <laughs> like straight up ridiculous. Um, and there's lots of weird little touches in this, like uh, the the villainous brother spray painting cats everywhere that he steals things for no clear reason. He's a and, cat burglar. And you know, also, also calling the cops every time he does a job and still being there. I don't understand that whole process. Um, I don't. I don't totally get it. But it is hilarious, uh, and it it made me entertained. So. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast. We will be back next Tuesday with a brand new double feature. Wait, wait, you actually just reminded me. My favorite part of this film was like when he he was calling the cops, he like he was like, send that like Jade cop. Like that's like a thing that you yes, can do. Like you can he's, request a Send that big cop who went to the last one. And the dispatcher is like, yes, sir. Like <laughs> you're, you're anything like, else, sir? I'm like, I'm like. <laughs> is this is yeah is it is like is new york is it new york city is that where they are i don't even know um but it's ridiculous yeah it's like it's not a takeout service guys uh yeah so i was like reading the the wikipedia summary of the plot and it was saying that um it i don't know it just brought to mind because of what um jeff just said it of why he would be calling the cops um and they said like he's a crook and he finds out that they're doing something like there's this plot going on and he then needs to team up with his police officer officer brother to stop the criminalization and it's just like he purposefully called the cops so he could get caught and then do the thing i'm like i didn't read that at all in nope. the plot like no, he wasn't yeah. trying to get caught so that he could get to work in with fact, the once cops he, got like, caught, very... he just tried to escape constantly yeah, right it's a very weird summary Oh, the way that that was written, but I like, would like to point out that this this Wikipedia yeah. article also has like four or five flags for like problematic citations and inconsistencies, <laughs> yeah. and and when you see a Wikipedia tagging their own article, it's like, oh, this article is probably bullshit. That's yeah. a not a great sign. Not so good, yeah. but yeah, maybe that person thought that's why he was calling. Well, the cops. and may, and so who knows what the them. original? Um, also, I will say what the that original script was like. I'll also say that our transfer is from MGM HD streaming and uh, that it would not, I've, I've seen no irrefutable proof of this, but I would not be shocked if they were editing content for time um, and, and not, and not advising it. Um, but this is also matched time-wise with our IMDB reference. Not that that is by any means the end all be all. It is certainly you know, a step above Wikipedia, but that's about it. So it could be that there's additional footage and an additional cut that either wasn't released or never made it to the widespread release, which happens, especially with, with this sort of direct-to-video kind of feature because uh, they just want it on the shelf as, as quickly as possible. So who knows, but uh, that is that is it. And I really thank you guys for staying for the post credit scenes and make sure you leave reviews wherever you find your podcasts. Subscribe, watch us on YouTube, Colton Classic Podcast. Uh, 
join our Patreon. And if you have any questions, recommendations, requests, hate mail, love mail, uh, anything like that, send it to Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com or our Instagram handle at Colton Classic Podcast. And thank you guys so much. We will catch you on Friday with another mini soda next Tuesday with a brand new start of a two movie pairing for your listening pleasure. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.